Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. She's like the wind. Today's episode is inspiring, especially if you're a heartthrob actor who's written a song that you really believe in. Thanks to the unrelenting power of the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, Patrick Swayze broke into the Billboard Top 10 in 1988 with his one and only song. Today, we're joined by 91 Donkey Lane's Nate Lopez as we try to decide if the song stands on its own or if it blows like the wind. Nate, you chose a song that's not only a one-hit wonder, but it's 
actually the only song that the person ever wrote and it became a hit, which is very impressive. Yes, I, I honestly that was one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to choose it. Like I'm not kidding when I say this song kind of means a lot to me. It's so weird and it's such a random out of left field nonsense song, but I truly love it. I truly love this song. Where did your love for She's Like the Wind begin? So growing up, my mom, we lived with my mom for about a year and a half. And her favorite movie at the time was Dirty Dancing. So I've probably seen this movie about 70 times, at least as a child and more as a grown up. But she would have this soundtrack playing just constantly. The soundtrack was always on. And She's Like the Wind, like I'm like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid really just rocking out to She's Like the Wind. It's just it, it's kind of shocking but i've loved this since i was a child the thing about this song that i really love when doing the research behind it was how much patrick swayze believed in this song in the one song that he wrote this dude tried to get this song in every movie he was in i think he was casting a movie and he's like hey by the way uh got this song <laughs> and he just did not give up it almost reminds me not exactly but it kind of reminds me of dirk diggler yes in boogie nights <laughs> like believed in the song so much like i feel like the world was like no patrick but he's like nope i got this one song and this is a hit song you just gotta believe me and he believed in it and he just believed in it long enough that it became a hit song. A gigantic song. A gigantic song. People forget how big soundtracks were in the 80s. And this was probably one of the top three. I mean, you put Footloose and Dirty Dancing. They're definitely in the conversation for biggest in the 80s. And yeah, I love that he shot this to every rom-com ever made. Yeah, he, he <laughs> believed in this song. And I think this is actually pretty inspiring for anyone out there <laughs> who writes a song. Like, all you need is a song <laughs> and patrick swayze's and, looks <laughs> right yeah and you have to you have to look like patrick swayze and have the talent of patrick swayze and everything like that that too but if you <laughs> this i think this song proves the point that if you are patrick swayze <laughs> and, you, and you have a song that that song could be a hit which i think is just inspirational for anybody listening right now it's real riches to riches story i love it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so before we uh started recording this i found out literally just 20 minutes ago that chris has never seen dirty dancing what which it's a fantastic movie but one of the things that has always been awkward to me and it's you know nate you said that you've watched it 70 times Mm -hmm. does it feel weird i'm sure as a kid you didn't notice this but as an adult the 80s music stands out like a sore thumb in this film. Yes. This film that takes place in 1962. Uh-huh. And like the whole soundtrack is like these 50s rock and roll yep. songs. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's time for the big dance. And it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it's it's really, really fun. The anachronisms in it, you know. And like, if you start picking apart this movie. And I apologize. I know, Chris, you haven't seen it. But like. No, you can spoil. You can spoil Dirty Dance. I know the main points. I, I know what happens. Did I, you know there's an abortion in this movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Big 80s trope. <laughs> Fast Time at Richmond High. They had a big abortion turn. Yeah. Dirty Dancing. Big abortion. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, but, but also, Patrick Swayze is a least 35 in this movie at least and uh, jennifer <laughs> yeah. gray is supposed to be 16 it's just incredible this age gap yeah that's awesome i also one of my other favorite 80s, the, the big, big abortion, abortion. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I kind of want to skip right to the lyrics of this song. Please do. I kind of I kind of want to get right into it. I love that Patrick Swayze believed in this song, pitched it to every movie that he was in. He was pitching this song because he wrote these lyrics, uh, which starts, "She's like the wind through my tree. <laughs> she <laughs> she rides the night." next to me oh my god yeah so apparently in my research he had those two lines those were he had a co-writer on this song holy shit and he had those two lyrics and then his co-writer wrote the next two lyrics she leads me through moonlight only to burn me with the sun to which patrick swayze said yeah but what does that mean and the co-writer, and I can't remember who the co-writer was. I don't even remember if it was a man or a woman. I think it was a woman. The co-writer was like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, sold. She's taken my heart, but she doesn't know what she's done. Oh, wow. It's, it, I mean, life is tough when you're Patrick Swayze, you know? This is, yeah. <laughs> it, like, this reads like something I would have written on, like, my MySpace wall back in the day. You know, this is, yeah. like, this is just junior high level lyrics i adore it it's it, yeah. can you imagine put yourself in patrick swayze's shoes this guy is one of the biggest stars of the 80s he, he's gonna be people's sexiest man like two years from this song and he's talking about this woman who's too good for him you know it's just uh it's so wonderful who was this muse who was this <laughs> this had to be the most beautiful creature your eyes have ever gazed upon that Patrick Swayze felt like he wasn't good enough. <laughs> I want to know, who was the wind through Patrick Swayze's tree? Per, what's the word I'm looking for? Per Dirty Dancing lore, this is a, a 16-year-old Jennifer Grey. Okay. <laughs> well, as, as we go on, feel her breath in my face, uh -huh. her body close to me, can't look in her eyes. Here it is. She's out of my league. <laughs> 16-year-old Jennifer Grey. There you go. <laughs> Just a fool to believe I have anything she needs. And who cannot relate to that sentiment? Yeah. Wow. Man, this, like, one, I'm a little worried about him. He needs some self-esteem coaching, you know? Mm -hmm. This is this is feeling poor about yourself. But I don't know. It, it's such a weird, like, male feeling that he's describing here. You know, this, how do you say that word? Ennui, you know? This, this, this <laughs> idea that men are like, oh, she's too good for me. You know, we all go through that phase. You know, it's like our Jim Morrison phase where you're like, oh, she's perfect and I love her and she's the greatest ever, you know? And I love that he put it on, like uh, recorded it for posterity. You know, I, I, it's a wonderful gift. Yeah, I, did, I wasn't able to find out who, I mean, I can't, there has to be inspiration. There has to be an actual woman. You don't just write something this beautiful. Uh, this doesn't just come out of nowhere. But something that really cracks me up about this is like Patrick Swayze is trained, right? He's, he's He went to a major school in New York, like Juilliard, I think it was. He's a trained classical dancer. He's done ballet. He's a singer. Like he was, he had all of this, this going on for him. When he got the dirty dancing part, he of course shopped the song and he started recommending singers for it. He didn't want to sing it. They actually had to push him into singing this song that he wrote wow. that he's been shopping for years and years. Because he didn't want to be the dancing, singing guy. He just wanted to be a straight actor. So they actually pushed him so, into singing this. Wow. So Patrick Swayze wrote this song, but he just thought, no, it's not the fact that I'm singing it that's going to sell this song. Yep. This song is so amazing that the world needs to hear it. <laughs> but not performed by me, performed by someone else. <laughs> I, it just gets it gets better and better, and this is no disrespect to the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Rest in peace, Patrick Swayze. I'm just impressed that the guy wrote one song ever and believed in it 
this hard. Right. I mean, it's pretty inspiring. It's a Rudy story. If you're, I mean, it's one of those <laughs> yes. things where you hear it's such a weird feat that he accomplished with this stupid song <laughs> that it's it is impressive, you know, to be able to have the number one movie in America. Oh, and you're singing the number one single off the number one soundtrack at the same time. It's that's uh, your road. Pump, pump the brakes. The number three single. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I, I apologize. Yeah, I got. Which the... like raises an important question <laughs> for me is like, if this song didn't come out on the Dirty Dancing mm-hmm. soundtrack at the time where every song on Dirty Dancing could crack the top ten. Yep. Would we even be talking about this song? Never, 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 <laughs> never, never, never. This would be like that Joe Pesci song where we're like, hey, did you know Patrick Swayze sang a song? <laughs> that is the cringiest thing in the world is Joe Pesci singing. And the thing is, he's got chops too. Like he actually knew Buddy Valley, you know, or uh, 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 am I saying that name right? Oh, Ricky Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky yeah, yeah. Valley. Yes. Yeah, he's a major <laughs> part of their origin. Rick, Ricky Valley. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, you might, are you friends with Richie Valley close enough to call him <laughs> Ricky Matt. <laughs> yeah, me and Bobby De Niro, hey. you know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but you got to keep in mind, the 80s were a time when not only could Patrick Swayze have a hit song, but so could Bruce Willis. Uh-huh. So could Eddie Murphy. Don, uh, Don Johnson. Don Johnson. Olivia Newton-John. It, there was just so many actors. Remember Rappin' Rodney? <laughs> oh. Rodney Dangerfield put out a rap single? <laughs> you know what? Like, there's a certain feeling to these actor songs, right? Like, you have the comedy ones, like Rappin' Rodney, you know, these these weird ones. But then you have guys that actually put in effort. You know, you have Bruce Willis and Patrick Swayze, obviously, and... It, it's interesting how the two categories these songs fall into, and I don't know which one I like better. I mean, I am all about like putting all of your emotion into something this stupid. Yeah, I love the sincerity of these actors that that made these songs because it's actually funnier than a comedian trying to be like, oh, I'm going to make a funny song. It's funnier when someone <laughs> who shouldn't be writing songs just puts their all into it. That at, which Bruce is- Willis record is wild. Like the return of Bruno is absolutely a wild album. And once again, I'm not, this is, this is Patrick Swayze doing this. You know, I'm a guy who's played in a band for decades and and I could I could be bitter about the fact that there are people like this who make who make one song and it goes platinum and what but but he but I'm not Patrick Swayze. And Patrick Swayze was doing this when I was just a pup. <laughs> so maybe Patrick Swayze inadvertently got into my subconscious and made me want to play music. I don't know. I knew this song as a kid. Side note, how how did we list all of these weird 80s actors with singing careers and we didn't bring up David Hasselhoff. Oh my like the God. man who's made like a 30-year career yeah. out of the weird yep. dream to be a a pop star. Oh man, that David Hasselhoff, I think he started one of my favorite weird SNL jokes when Norm MacDonald would end his jokes with and goes to prove Germans love David Hasselhoff. He would just say this randomly, and I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Well, and that all built to when he yep. had David Hasselhoff on Weekend Update, and it was just like, "Hey, David, could you uh, real quickly just say that Germans love you?" And he's like, um, "Germans love me." And he just turns to the camera, and goes, "Once again, proving my theory that Germans love David Hasselhoff." <laughs> he was he was at the Berlin Wall coming down. That's insane. <laughs> That's the craziest thing ever. Holy cow. He had a song 
that I remember the music video on YouTube and I listened to it way more than I care to mm-hmm. admit. But he had a song that was like, come on and get in my car. I, <laughs> yep, like, I've heard that one. It was like it was like his version of like, get out of my dreams, get yep. out of my car, oh. but like not nearly as charming or fun. Can you imagine? <laughs> Jeez. Can you imagine ripping off that song? <laughs> That's your goal. <laughs> What I do appreciate about She's Like the Wind, it, I feel like this is one of the last, like, real, like, actor songs that became a hit. I mean, we've had a couple more, like, Cops, you know, Anna Kendrick. But for a while in the 90s, this just didn't happen anymore. People tried. Russell Crowe had a band. Johnny Depp had a band, you know. Uh, uh, Keanu Reed. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. I think Dave Barry and Stephen King had a band together, you know. What? Yeah, the D- Stephen King, <laughs> Dave Barry, and I think Dean Koontz were all in a band together for a long time. This is one of my favorite music genres because it is so just terrible. Like, across the board, it's bad. <laughs> but it's so enjoyable to me. I, you know, I listened to one of your Yacht Rock episodes just recently, and that's another one of my favorite genres ever. It's just, I love the idea of sincerity in something that's so terrible, you know, where the sincerity level is this high and the actual, like, product is this low. It, nothing is better to me. I love that. One thing I got to respect about Patrick Swayze was, you know, like I said, he wrote this one song ever, uh-huh. <laughs> believed in it, uh-huh. took it to the top, uh-huh. or pretty damn close to the top, and was like, all right, I'm done. Yep. I did it. I He didn't even, not even, there's not even another song. No. It's just this one and he's like, I, I achieved what I wanted to achieve there. And I can respect that. We didn't have to suffer through a second Patrick Swayze single. Researching this episode, we didn't have to listen to a bunch of Patrick Swayze songs. It was one song. That's it. Yeah, there's nothing that's going to make it on the Spotify deep cuts playlist. Oh, no. For this one. So <laughs> there's no deep cuts to be found. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how true this is because, again, it comes from one of those weird blogs that you link to. But apparently he's been asked to write other songs for movies like Ghost wanted him to write something. And even like he, he could have had a shot at writing something for Donnie Darko, you know. But I, I do like that he he just stepped away you know he's like no i'm done i I had my hit i'm good he spent all his lyrics he had nothing left in the tank after that uh you know went through my trees line that was that was all he had that's all all he had to work with hey what were the other dirty dancing songs now i've had the time of my life right that was the big one and hungry eyes by eric carmen was the other which i think of the three original songs on the soundtrack that is actually the best song on that soundtrack it's that's a fantastic (laughs) song i I, yeah hungry eyes is a great great song although now it's been used in so many food commercials that i think (laughs) of it as a food jingle more than i think of it as a song from the dirty dancing soundtrack (laughs) but it's a bop (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a lot of fun. There's Be My Baby is really fun. Big Girls Don't Cry. I mean, you go down this list. It is such a good album. They got Otis Redding on it. It's very, very good. Probably the song that like most people think of yep. from the 50s is The Love is Strange, where they're doing the really seductive dance mm-hmm. uh, on the floor. I mean, that's that's a song we will have to cover one what? day because I'm pretty sure they never had any other song, and that song is fucking weird. So this, this <laughs> it is. It's so weird. So this kicks up like a memory. Like so, his muse, right? Is a 16 year old Jennifer Grey that this song, blah blah blah. But when they're performing this, uh, this love is strange portion, they're supposed to be deeply in love, and it's the sexiest part of the movie. And like, it, it's you know, it's the big, it's the big part. They were so upset. And they hated each other so bad by this point. They weren't talking in between takes. And Patrick kept just yelling at her because she couldn't get it right. So he was berating her the entire time. She's crying. The director knows that they're not talking to each other. 
and like they never talk to each other again after this movie. You know, they literally <laughs> hate wow. each other. It, it's unreal, man. So many. But weird the chemistry stories. just oozes from the screen, regardless. I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, maybe I don't know. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus i'm not gonna lie here i've become a factor fanatic lately I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. So, so as a guy who hasn't seen this movie, mm-hmm. when this song plays in the movie, what's happening? She's Like the Wind is kind of a, it's almost an overture in the song. It uh, plays a couple times. So he's never actually singing it. But when it, the big spot, I think it's towards the end, you know, at the end of act two and, you know, everyone hates each other and blah, blah, blah. It's around that point, And then it plays over the credits at the end. Oh, gotcha. Is it the soundtrack to when he's like leaving the camp, basically? Like he mm-hmm. hops on his motorcycle yeah. and he peels off and, and like she's raining. like the wind playing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is after Jerry Orbach, you know, tells baby, I'm not mad at you, but I'm disappointed, you know? So yeah. it's it's one of those. God, what a, I'm going to watch Dirty Dancing tonight. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so I did picture I, what I pictured, and I haven't seen the movie, but what I pictured was Patrick Swayze looking pensive, profile view, wind blowing through his hair. I mean, you know, obvious song called She's... And just, like, thinking about her. You are not You have perfectly described the video. (laughs) Yeah, maybe subconsciously I've seen the video or something. But so somebody's disappointed because they don't want their daughter to date Patrick Swayze? I'm going to give you a brief rundown of this story. (laughs) Bear with me for three minutes. So Baby is the oldest daughter of a very rich doctor family. They are vacationing uh, in upstate New York, right, uh, for the summer. They're just going for a summer camp like six weeks. While you're there, you have the very rich to-do people who do all the dorky dancing, and then you have the help, and they do the dirty dancing, okay? They have their own little thing. 
baby <laughs> is 16 years old and she's really just kind of discovering herself and so she's naturally attracted to the dirty dancers and so now Patrick Swayze gets into it and him and his dance partner, they're the dance instructors at this camp. They are not together, but she has a pregnancy scare from another person. So one thing leads to another and it's a, uh, it's a bad abortion. And Patrick Swayze asks baby to ask her dad to help because he's a doctor. So he does. He finds out about this romance, but he helps her, right? Anyways, baby... Since this woman can't dance anymore, they have to dance in a dance competition like 20 miles away. Baby takes her spot. So the whole movie is about her learning how to dance and finding herself as a woman and falling in love with this bad boy. And, you know, the dad doesn't appreciate it. That's the low point. That's where she's like the wind comes in. How dirty is the dancing? (laughs) I'm not going to lie. When you're thinking about it as 19, like 62, it is... It's pretty seductive. It's mm-hmm. like some bump and grind type moves yep. up in this like little dirty shack yep. that they're doing these uh, dance parties in. Like, they are very sweaty in any of those scenes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I always appreciated about it, too, is it's very racially diverse in this area, too. It's a very whitewashed 1950s area. But, it yeah, it, it's sweaty. I think there's a reason why every mom in the 80s loves this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so we always look at this, but I think of this song as being like earlier to mid 80s. But actually, we're talking 1988. It hit its peak February 27th of 1988. And also on the charts at that time, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. And the number one song, which a badass song, is Father Figure by George Michael. Yeah. Steamy shit. Some steamy shit on <laughs> late 80s were I, I tell this to bacon all the time, you know, because that's kind of like my wheelhouse is late 80s, early 90s. That's when I was just becoming a teenager. You know, I was a kid, but I was really absorbing everything. It's a secretly pretty great time in pop culture. There's some good stuff that came out of it. You know, grunge was being born out of it. Hair metal was kind of, you know, hitting that late stage peak. But you also had all these great power ballads coming out. I don't know. It's. Underrated, eighty-eight to ninety-two is not too bad and, for music. And I'll I'll use this as a time to to say right now to anybody who's waiting for us to do a Rick Ashley episode. That dude had so many hits mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty-eight. <laughs> it can't be done. Together Forever was massive. I remember hearing that on the radio all the time. We used to throw on MTV in nineteen eighty-nine and just play it. You know, me and my friends were like nine, ten, eleven. You know, really young kids. But you have MTV playing all day because it would play everything at that point you had rap you had hair metal you had rick astley all over the place enya was playing all over i mean it was just a wonderful time yeah the rick astley if we're going to talk about rick astley for a second the dude just released a new single like i just saw it like rolling stone or somebody post about it he did a pretty badass cover of everlong and i mean he's got a great voice and on top of that, good-looking guys. I'll tell you what, we we watch The Challenge over here a lot. So we're watching MTV's The Challenge, and Never Gonna Give You Up comes up right in the middle of an episode. And so we're laughing because we just got Rickrolled, but they played the whole song, and not going to lie, it's a banger. It's fun to listen to. <laughs> Look, I get the Rickroll, but like there are so many worse songs to ruin someone's so... day than sending them that song. <laughs> it's kind of a present. I don't mind it, you know? It's like... <laughs> It's like getting a gusher. Every line of that song is catchy. The verses are catchy. The chorus is catchy. I mean, you're no stranger to love. You know the rules. And so, 
do I, do I? Yeah, but Chris, do you remember the second single that I'm talking about? Together forever, forever in time. It's so good. So good. Do we want to talk about some of the other? I want to talk about the second verse. I want to talk about the second verse of She's yeah, Like the Wind. Yeah, let's dive into that, yeah. Because it feels like it, it relates right back to the movie. <laughs> it's She's Like the Wind. I look in the mirror and all I see is a young old man with only a dream. Am I just fooling myself that she'll stop the pain? Living without her, I'd go insane. Holy <laughs> shit, dude. If this guy was on Twitter, I would block him immediately, you know? Chris, you were talking about with the pl- when we did the player episode, you were talking about a lyric that's like so dumb that it's almost creative. And I feel like <laughs> I feel like young old man with only a dream is like right in that category of such a dumb lyric that I kind of appreciate. Right? It. God, it, yeah, it really does make that trip all the way back around, doesn't it? Like, you know? I love that Patrick Swayze wrote the following lyric. Am I just fooling myself that she'll stop the pain? Living without her, I'd go insane. And thought, I'm going to record this song, and I'm going to pitch it to every movie that I'm in from here on out. Keep in mind, at this point, all of Motown has happened up to this point. <laughs> the Beatles have happened. <laughs> Think about the vast expanse of music that has happened up until this point when Patrick Swayze writes he this song. He wrote that and was like, I don't need to run this past my co-writer. It's perfect as is. Man, <laughs> anytime you're rhyming pain with insane in anything, you really have to rethink what you're doing. I'm, insane is, in general, a hard word to come across sincerely in any type of context lyrically. Well, I mean, even technically, right? If, if you're singing insane, like the, the long parts are on the ends. That sounds so bad when you're singing. You know, it's just such a hard word to sing, too, and to end a verse on it. It's there's nothing good about that lyric. And I, once again, I'm just I'm so impressed with Patrick Swayze that he just believed in this song. He willed this to be. This is once again, this is an insp- this is inspiring to all of us that if you create something, doesn't matter what it is, and you believe in all your heart and also you are Patrick Swayze. Also that. That it can happen. That, that it could go platinum. Anything could happen, man. I, I just think this is inspiring for sure. I truly love it. And uh, it's, you know, when you look at Patrick Swayze's overall body of work, you know, I put it in his top five. Like, just art. Like, because, you know, you have Roadhouse. You have, you know, all these terrible next to kin, Ghost, you know, Donnie Darko. You have these good movies, okay movies, fun but terrible movies. And then she's like the wind, and it just sort of fits in that whole thing, you know? It just it just fits in his body of work. Yeah, I, and it's definitely Patrick Swayze's best song. And speaking of body of work, I mean, you know, it doesn't help that, you know, Patrick Swayze had it going on, you know, for sure. He did, yeah. He was, like I said, he was uh, people's sexiest man alive at least once, and uh, I'll fight anybody. Patrick Swayze uh, uh, with his shirt off in Roadhouse when he's practicing his karate. Sorry, I think, you know when they ask you, you know, if you were gay, blah, 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 Patrick Swayze, 1989. There you go. Easy answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it's, al- it's always going to be Stamos for me. But... <laughs> But Patrick Swayze, definitely up there. I consider his peak, honestly, the Chippendale sketch from SNL. Yeah. <laughs> he had the best haircut. He was uh, like peak sexiness. It's maybe, I think, top three funniest SNL ever, and it's peak Chris Farley. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I sincerely think that is. That's like one of the funniest 
things ever. When I when I tell people what perfect comedy is, that's where I point them to. I'm like, this is the, everything about this is perfect. You know, it's just it plays against shit. all the rules, right? Uh-huh. Like it, it's like, because like the I mean the joke of it obviously is like the combination of the two of them, <laughs> but like Chris Farley's not terrible at dancing he in the skit, and is... like when they're sitting there and they're legitimately trying to decide who they can pick, and they're just like. I wish we could take both. I really do. Like, Even their names. <laughs> it's Adrian against Barney. <laughs> you know, that's so yeah, funny. Like, and Farley's so graceful I, and he's such a good dancer. And it's, oh, I love that sketch so much. And his reaction, like Chris Farley's like very sincere reaction when they're like, you know, we came down to it and, and we're going to go with Artie. <laughs> you know, when we, just, when we think of the Chippendale image, we just don't think of you. Yeah, <laughs> your body's this, like, so bad. Yeah, that makes sense type of look. But like, you can tell he wants to cry. Uh, and then Daisy gives that speech where he's just like, I have never shared the stage with such an incredible dancer. It seriously is like so iconic. And especially thinking about it now, both of them are gone. Yeah. yeah. Well, so is Jan Hooks. 60% wow. of that sketch is gone now, man. It's crazy when those people who are at their creative peak whether chris farley was there or slightly below it that's irrelevant but thinking about what they would be doing thinking about what kirk cobain would have done thinking about what chris farley would have done thinking about these these people amy winehouse people that were just gone at their peak there's a great essay that uh chuck klosterman wrote one time Hmm. where he was talking about kirk cobain and rivers cuomo Uh. and he was talking about this world where Rivers Cuomo was the person who died after Pinkerton. Oh my God. And Kurt Cobain was the person that lived. And he's like, what would that world have been? Would Weezer be this band that people just worship? Yep. Because they had these two albums that are beloved and nothing else. He's like, and would Kurt Cobain, like, would we see Kurt Cobain go into this, like, Eric Clapton phase where he's like, playing a lounge version of Lithium on, like, an MTV Unplugged in, like, 2002? Like, like there there is a world where that's a very possible alternate reality because he had such a love for like pop music that he could have very easily turned into this genre where you're like what happened to kurt cobain like he's not the voice of this generation anymore yeah well i mean if he if if cobain had kept going right and get on some antidepressants i i do think we would have seen something different Uh, he was such a huge paul mccartney fan you know, I, I think you would have seen something like Wings come out, a less, you know, a more poppy, less angsty version of the band. But then Foo Fighters wouldn't exist, you know? Like, and people say it all the time. They're the last real rock and roll band, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. And I don't even know if it's true, <laughs> but it feels like they're the last dad rock band, you know, around. <laughs> all right, but Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when they have one song. Hey, yeah, okay. It's it's time. We we got to decide. So let's make sure that we stress Patrick Swayze's music career. Was it a thunder or a blunder? We we can't incorporate the rest of his life into this. <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Did he bring the one hit thunder or was this a one hit blunder? Nate, you're our guest. You can go first. So, I mean, when you when you add everything together, he shopped it around. So, you know, he one believed in this song Two, he sang it and wrote it himself. That's I mean, that's that's a lot. Three, it was a major hit on a huge movie, and it's something we all remember. I think it's Thunder. All right. I will say that usually a big thing we dive into is like, oh, we look at the rest of their work and be like, oh, based off of their whole catalog, did they deserve to have a hit, or is this a mistake that they had a hit? In this instance, 
<laughs> once again, this guy put everything he had into one song, willed it into being, and I, I, I can't deny, I can't deny that he just brought the one hit. Like this is the definition of one hit thunder. Like this is, this is a one hit hurricane. That thing you do is the only other comparable song. I think like that's the only one in this arena of one hit wonders. I'll be the heel here and <laughs> say that I don't, I don't think that this song would be a hit at all. If not the very specific circumstances of being on the biggest soundtrack of the biggest movie of that summer. I think the song is the worst part of the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. So this is absolutely a blunder for me. I guess it didn't hurt that the sexiest man alive was singing it. I don't think that there is another alternative reality anywhere where this song reaches number three on the Billboard charts, except for the exact timeline in which the sexiest man in America in the number one movie in America has a song on the number one soundtrack in America. I feel like this is this is a, a, a late stage Michael McDonald minor hit in that yeah. alternate universe. You know, I, it's it's like the number three single on one of his last albums. I, I could see that, but yeah. If- I, it's it, one of the songs when you're looking at the track list on the greatest hits and you're like, I don't remember this. One. Yep. Yep. Like number 11, you know, when, when you get the essentials playlist on iTunes, you're like, what the fuck? Oh my God. There's a George Strait. I, I like country music too. And there's a George Strait 50 number ones. And like the last 10, you're like, all right, come on guys. <laughs> this, this is terrible. <laughs> so I know we're wrapping up here, but I have one more story about the dirty dancing uh, universe that is just incredible nice. to me. <laughs> Havana Nights. If you've ever looked at the story for Havana Nights, it is unreal. So you know how in Hollywood they have some scripts that get handed around and everybody loves them, and but they just can't get made, you know? This kid had this script about uh, how dancing, he was a Cuban kid, and uh, dancing was getting him through. It, it's a story about his family, I think, but it was the time of the Cuban Revolution and the dancing that these kids were doing were kind of getting them through the revolution. So they were playing up this uh, uh, salsa dancing or on the background of a Cuban revolution. It was a three-hour epic. It was going to be beautiful. This script gets passed around Hollywood from one producer to another to another. It's the hottest thing in the world on that list. It's number one, you know, for like three years in a row. Everybody loves it, but it just can't get made. Finally, it gets optioned, and they bring in another writer, and then another writer, and then another writer. It gets pared down to 90 minutes, and the title gets changed to Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights. So the screenwriter who got credit for this wrote this deeply personal epic about dancing in Cuba during the revolution. The final product, and his name is still on it, is Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights, and it's about two dance instructors in uh, 80s Cuba or whatever, 72, I don't know what it is, uh, who, who kind of like each other. He is so embarrassed by the final product now. He actually has, he's written a book about it. It's unbelievable. You got to read, you got to just start studying Cabana Nights too. It's wonderful. Wow. If you follow Kevin Smith, he calls it the mechanical spider effect, right? Because yeah. he had to write that Superman. <laughs> they wanted the mechanical spider. And then, you know, he said, no, blah, blah, blah. Things fall apart. Nick Cage drops out. You see the mechanical spider in Wild Wild West. It's the same producer, same guy. Just wanted a giant mechanical spider, but yeah, it, I know exactly what you're talking about there. <laughs> I I think it was a very fun episode. It was a it was a different ending for us, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take you to Nakama.
This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Everything I Wanted off of the Punchline EP, So Nice to Meet You. Pick up a copy at punchline.com. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can help make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.